Welcome to Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Pete. And in this episode, we're going to continue speaking about the 2024 points of emphasis from the Federation, NFHS, so a high school rulebook, the points of emphasis for 2024. Yep. So last time we talked about the rule changes uh, and we started to get into some of the points of emphasis. But we you know, kind of ran out of time, ran long, so we wanted to, to give this part its due and push it to a new episode. So last time we had talked a little bit about game management, right? Uh, so could you sum up, David, just quickly, uh, for anyone who maybe doesn't want to go back and hear the end of that episode, uh, what we covered? And- sure. Yeah, so essentially the first paragraph from the rule book, and it was really more about how you understand coaches in the fact that the coaches are there to advocate for their players just like, well, on both sides of the ball, I guess I would say. And then also that um, any communication between the coach and the umpire should be conversational and not confrontational. And listening to understand the coach's issue versus listening to respond. Right. So listen to understand first and uh, use terminology from the rule book. We've heard that for years. Uh, that, that actually helps you to legitimize yourself um, as not only an umpire, but then also for the coach to be able to look it up and say, oh, I found those words that he actually used. So, And then the rest of it uh, for game management, there's another key aspect of it, and it's managing the flow of the game. You know, last year, there was a point of emphasis about the 60 seconds between innings. And although umpires are not there to rush players, one of the responsibilities of an umpire is to help maintain a good flow of the game. So this can be done without being overly aggressive, often just a simple here we go or let's get ready to play red is all the encouragement that a team might need uh, to know that it's time to get back to playing. So utilizing these simple reminders during each half inning as well as during charged conferences can help make uh, sure a good game flow is maintained. Yep, and sometimes that's, I don't know, I feel like some coaches feel like until the umpire says something that they're fine. You know, so you think about charge conference they mentioned you go to, you have someone go to the circle they're out there for a while sometimes they'll stay out there until an umpire comes to kind of chase them just taking three steps towards the circle will usually break it up let alone as yeah. you said uh, go out there and then bring the catcher back with you um, you know to kind of break that up and same thing between innings sometimes they're going to conference if, especially if things aren't going well there's going to be the coach is going to I don't know, teach him everything he should have taught him for the last <laughs> six right. years so that they're ready to play this game. And he's going to dump that all in the next 10 seconds. Yep. Um, you got to kind of break that up and say, hey, you know, here we go. And that's, you know, all of a sudden there's a batter ready all of a sudden. Or all of a sudden they rush to, to take their positions. Yeah. I can tell you that we've never, um, I've never counted 60 seconds or felt like a minute mm-hmm. in the, you know, for a high school game. Um, you know, in college we have, um, it's, it's a lot different in college. Of course, first it's 90 seconds and it's actually timed uh, with a timer and the base umpire is responsible and et cetera. So there's a mechanic in, in the NCAA for that. Uh, but in high school, probably in between innings has not been too terrible in my mm-hmm. experience. Some of the conferences, and it really depends on the coach and then what the players want to do after. So it's like the coach goes out there and has a talk with the pitcher and the catcher or calms the infield down or does something, and then the coach leaves. Yeah. But the girls stay, mm-hmm. and they want to have a, a conference after the conference. And um, those, I, I, pretty, I try to break those up pretty quick, where it's like, nope, we're, we're playing now. You know, yeah. your, your team got charged a conference because the coach came out to talk to you, and so that coach is gone, so that conference is done. Do you want a player conference now? You know, so yeah. these are they're different things. So anyway, to, just to try to keep it moving. But uh, like it says here in the book, it's not our job to rush them. They're, we're here for them. They're here to play ball, but they do have to play ball, you know, so just keep the game moving a little bit. Uh, the other thing I would mention is that I, I like the, 
the, put the quotations are like, here we go, or let's get ready to play red. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I'm working on this year is, uh, and, and I think it's because I'm a, I'm a girl dad. I think it's because I'm a former coach, but I've said ladies my whole career. Here we go, ladies. Yeah. You know, my whole career I've done that. And in today's landscape, you know, that's being discouraged. And so I'm, I'm going to be working on that this year to, to not say ladies um doing the young kids you know in usa ball you know hey sweetheart you know that kind of thing those those gotta go yeah you know you just can't you just can't do that stuff so i'll be working on that this year all right so the second point of emphasis for 2024 is unacceptable conditions and pete we talked about this some uh, when we went over the rule changes and we kind of speculated on you know what they were really talking about because they they added a rule that the umpire could end the game due to unacceptable conditions. Um, we've always had weather, and so we're like, what are they talking about here? So here in the rule book, it says, umpire jurisdiction is limited to the confines of the field of play. Items outside of the field of play, like spectator behavior, is monitored and controlled by event management. Absent a designated event manager, which, by the way, I've not done a high school game that had an event manager other than... Right, um, it's always it's, oh, home it's the team's AD. head coach. Yeah, yeah. head coach, or there's an AD. He's floating around somewhere, and yeah. you, you've never seen him. Right. So uh, the home team's head coach assumes the responsibility if there isn't one. And so that's what it's been for me anyway. Uh, most spectator behavior, behavior never reaches a level that would be considered dangerous or severe enough to cause a concern for participant safety. However, if conditions do become unacceptable for play due to spectator conduct, umpires now have the authority to call or end the contest. Again, this is a very rare occurrence, and all attempts should be made to have event management control the situation prior to ending the contest. Before we get into wildfires, yeah. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about a little bit about that. The other thing that I should probably do better, you know, is to let coaches deal with their spectators. Right. Um, in it's really easy to turn around and say, "Okay, that's enough." Mm-hmm. You know, you need to calm down, you know, that kind of thing. It's easy to do that. Um, I've done that in the past. But I've also, and in fact, it was USA Ball, and I think for a game that you were doing, where we had some spectator problems. And so I was acting UIC at the time, and we went and got the coach and said, you need to handle those parents. Yeah. You handle them or we will, and you don't want me to. Yeah, because they're <laughs> yeah. going to go out. I was doing a U-trip event uh, this summer, and I had some unruly parents uh, that actually were ready to fight. All game, they were very chirpy. They started chirping with each other. It was, oh, you don't talk about my daughter. You know, because she oh, was boy. the one pitcher. It was the pitcher's dad, and the girl was starting to be wild. Uh, and so they were, oh, she can't do this. She can't do that. She can't throw a strike. So instead of, you know, it's it's that kind of general rule where you want to encourage your team. Don't discourage another player or right. someone else, right? Oh, she's trash. You know, she's trash. She can't do Oh, don't say that. Yeah, and so that's bad. Dad yeah. was pretty upset. He's like, you were talking about my daughter that way. Uh, and so this stuff's happening behind me. That one dad ended up getting removed from the park and the, and the UIC ended up taking care of that. But it was a point, honestly, and I should have there, and this and this kind of thing has not, fortunately not gotten that bad for me in any high school games that I've done. But I probably should have gone to that the dad, the pitcher's dad's coach, but like, hey, can you ask that guy, like, either call it or maybe he moves to the other side of the dugout or something or Moves yeah. away from that. And then talk to the other one, too, and said, hey, can you get that guy? Let's move him. Let's get maximum distance between the two. Yeah. Um, we got young ladies here. Right. You know, exactly. They don't need that. With, that, so that was working. It was 14U. So. It was a 14U game. Oh, yeah. No one was – there were no college scouts there. There was no one playing for right. – there was no million-dollar prize for the victor. 
you know, this was, there's some, some plastic at, at the end for the winner. Yeah. You know, um, and that's like, which is fun and, it's, and the game is fun and we we're all having fun. And it seemed like everyone was having fun except the parents. Just about everybody was yeah. having fun. Huh? <laughs> all right. And in the last paragraph here for unacceptable conditions, it says, in addition to spectator behavior, other external conditions could result in the umpire having to call or end the contest. Uh, for example, at the start of a game, a wildfire might be a safe distance with winds carrying the smoke away from the field. But if these conditions change and result in conditions becoming unacceptable for play, the umpire can end the game. I think we probably would have done that anyway. Yeah. But now, yeah, they, there's, <laughs> now there's just a rule book. You know. And I don't, I don't know that we would have had to. You know, you got these coaches that are in here like, no, we're going to play. The fires, you know, whatever. Our girls are tough. Like, no, they probably, I would have had someone come to me in the first inning probably been like, hey, I can actually, I can see that fire. That's not really. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. No, it's, it's fine. fine. We're going to play. Yeah, we've had um, tornadoes, I think, when we were playing. Yeah. Uh, we have. We were at uh, New Albany and had a tornado um, that you could actually see. And we're like, okay, yeah, we think we're done. We need to get inside. Uh, okay, so the next one is unreported versus illegal substitutions. Uh, we actually have this teed up for an entire episode of its own, so we'll try really hard to be brief. I'll, I won't get up on a soapbox here, but uh, so being a point of emphasis this year, though, um, let's get into it. So an illegal substitute is a player who is ineligible to occupy a position in the lineup. So there's some examples of when this can occur. So uh, the first one is enters or re-enters the game without eligibility to do so. Um, also called illegal reentry. So that is that is somebody that. So here we're in high school. So you know everybody has one reentry, just like USA ball, mm -hmm. right? And so if you've entered twice, you know, so you maybe you were a starter, you got replaced, substituted for, you came back in, and then you got substituted for again. The second time you try to come back in, uh, you will be an illegal uh, substitution. So, yep. and you might be unreported also. Mm -hmm. because, you know, maybe they, they didn't sneak report you out it. There. Yeah, uh, but you definitely would be illegal then. Uh, and the second one there, Pete says, uh, re-enters the game in the wrong position in the batting order. Yeah, so that one, if you have someone who, if you started the game, you're leading off playing first, you know, and then they sub you out for someone else, and then they bring you back in the game uh, to replace the number two hitter, uh, to put you back in the board. You can't do that. You are, you are tied to that spot in the lineup, regardless of where you play on the field. You are in position one or you are nowhere. Yep. And then um, item three or reason number three or, or situation number three that can cause this illegal substitution is actually a trigger for me and, and my frustrations because it is if the flex enters the game as a batter or runner in a different position in the batting order than the DP, which is the same as number two, mm -hmm. uh, which is why it's a trigger for me. Right. Like I'm not sure why uh, we have to make the flex and DP more difficult than it is. The flex can only go into the batting order uh, in the DP spot, so that's the spot. And if to put them anywhere else, then it's it's in the wrong position in the batting order. So the same as number two. But and then uh, number four is violates the courtesy runner rule. So those those four things can cause illegal substitutions. Yep. So all of these violations result in an illegal substitution, and penalties for offensive violations are defined in Rule three four two. And penalties for the defensive violations are detailed in 343. We'll, we'll look those up. But essentially, both of those penalties are, they're done. They're ejected from the game, um, restricted to the bench. Yeah, a, along with the additional penalties, one consistent penalty for all possible violations is that the illegal substitute is restricted to the dugout for the remainder of the game on the first offense. So, yeah, we ain't playing. That's right. You're not getting a warning. You're, you're done. Now, 
they were illegal and un, unable to play anyway. Right. So they're kind of... Yeah. Yeah. They're, but in contrast to an illegal substitute, an unreported substitute is a player that could legally occupy the position they are in in the lineup, but has simply failed to report that they are entering the game. Yeah, so this happens sometimes, especially if teams... This happens a lot in younger ball where you have coaches, sometimes inexperienced coaches. Oh, I wanted to substitute such and such to bat or at the end of the game. I wanted to get this girl on a bat. She got six substitutes coming up, you know, whatever it is. And she doesn't tell you about every one of them or whatever happens. You know, you end up in a bat and you you don't know until, you know, the, the smart defensive coach waits to see what's the outcome of the bat. Girl gets out. We'll keep this on the down low until I need it. Yeah, um, right. But she gets a single all of a sudden time. Uh, hey, Blue. Um Number one was supposed to bat. This is uh, number two is clearly staying on first base. I yep. check my card and I go, "You are correct. You are out." Who's out? Uh, the runner first. Oh no, they well the position in the batting order they should have been batting. So the bat, right. batter number one. So in that case, if, if batter number two um, had been was just substituting in, that's fine. But batting out of order would be right. It's a, the That'd original batter. But, yeah, it. but if if she's batting in place of someone else, it's kind of immaterial because there's no additional person. That's right. We don't switch up the order. You got it. So um, all the substitutions and the courtesy runners are required to be reported to the plate umpire upon entering the game. When a player enters the game unreported, a warning is issued to the head coach. Any subsequent violation of this, both the head coach and the player being, uh, results in the head coach and the player being restricted to the dugout for the remainder of the game. So, yeah, you got to be careful. If you forgot to do one, you know, in the second inning, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you forgot to report your, your courtesy runner or something. The umpire was busy because the somebody else did a did something else, you know, and you ran a runner out there and you get caught. Yeah. So you're going to get a warning there, and then at the end of the game, you know, you're winning by seven, you know, and uh, you want your you want to get some of your bench players in, get them plate appearances, and you forget to uh, forget one. Well, now you're both sitting down for the rest of the game. So I have um, yet to see a coach or player restricted to the bench. So I think this will be my sixth season of high school ball. Um, and I don't, I've never seen it happen. So. Yeah. I don't know that I have either. There's a certain amount of, especially for courtesy runners, there's some preventative umpiring that happens where, they, first of all, they've got to call time to do that. It's not too often that someone's running somebody out there on and off the field without right. getting time from the, from the officials. And then they call time, and if somebody starts to run out, you'd be like, is this a courtesy runner? Or what are you doing? And yeah, what, you, what are you doing here, bub? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and you all kind right. of sort that out. Yep, and I think uh, for me, I've seen it where you know the the defense might be, uh, they may have called time, yeah, and um, so I'm dealing with maybe a, a change there, or maybe there was a scoring issue that you're dealing with, and mm-hmm. while that's happening, you know, a courtesy runner comes out, and actually the time I'm remembering doing this, uh, I was doing a, a game at Dublin, and my, I was I was the plate, and I was busy, and when I came back from being busy, my base umpire pointed at the at the runner at second and said, hey. You know, kind of like a question mark on his face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, hey, what are you doing? That's not that's not who just hit that double. So, um, all right. So uh, the, the fourth one here is pitching mechanics and the replant. So the allowance of both feet to disengage from the playing surface while delivering a pitch has increased the concern about pitching mechanics involving a replant of the pivot foot. So a replant during the delivery would result in an illegal pitch. To help assist in the enforcement of this rule, a new definition of replant was created, Rule 247, and that now defines that a replant of the pivot foot occurs when the pitcher pushes off the playing surface from anywhere other than the pitcher's plate 
prior to the act of delivering the pitch. Let's keep going and then we'll, and then we'll talk it through. With this definition in mind, it is an illegal action if the pitcher slides the foot forward past the pitcher's plate, pushing off to start their motion or their movement from a position in front of the pitching plate. No part of their foot is still in contact with or over the pitching plate. Okay, yeah, now we're going to get into the hips, so, so let's stop yeah. there. Let's talk about the feet and, and whatnot. So, yeah, so yeah, the initial wording, a replant of the pivot foot occurs when the pitcher pushes off the playing surface from anywhere other than the pitcher's plate prior to the act of delivering the pitch. So we kind of eliminated, how did we get here? <laughs> and it's just, where's your foot when you when you push, when you push off. off again? You yeah. Know, push off, period. Yeah, and so, and I think that, that probably squares pretty well with your opinions about the weight bearing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on that back foot. So if you're not replanting, your weight is on your front foot. Yeah. And if you have weight on your back foot that's not on the pitcher's plate, before you've delivered the ball, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You, you've replanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're pushing off now from a different place. Okay. And so that technically, I mean, based on the wording of this, and it might be true, honestly, if someone is on the pitcher's plate and they rock back and then maybe kind of just step forward with that foot and then push, now I'm driving not off the pitcher's plate. You know what I'm saying? So like I push one inch in front of the pitcher's plate instead of, you know, a typical replant you think in your mind, I'm a foot closer, I'm two feet closer, I'm three feet closer when I plant. It could be a two inches. And that, I mean, that's technically, by this rule, a replant as well, which it kind of is, I guess, because your foot was on the plate when you started the pitch or else you had an illegal pitch at yeah, the very, very, just, very beginning. But you've now taken your foot off the plate and you've put it down not on the plate to drive. Good. And that's also a replant. So yep. keep, you know, look at it. Yeah, did you get here because she leaped or did she get here because she stepped? Yeah. Yeah, and that's not confused. The whole replanting situation has been in a rule forever. You know, we're just now clarifying it because, as the point of emphasis said, because of the concern now that leaping is is happening, replant is like a whole new set of worms that we're worried about in a bigger way than we used to worry. Yep, exactly. Yeah, but don't forget the don't forget the OG problems. Yes, for sure. Another common action, often referred to as closing the hip, is pushing with the pivot foot while delivering the pitch. Depending on the pitching style, the pitcher pitcher will either bring the pivot foot forward to square up toward the batter, or the pitcher will tuck the pivot foot behind the non-pivot foot. This push is during the act of delivering the pitch and is illegal. Is legal. Oh, no, is legal. Oh, geez. This push is during the act of delivering the pitch and is legal. Yeah, so that's the figure four. I think it's what they're describing. You know, when you when you finish, if a pitcher finishes when they're drag, you know, in a traditional drag, you make that motion, you come around, and your foot, your back foot, your pivot, your yeah, yeah, your pivot foot comes up and then will like kind of get really close to your non-pivot foot, which is your front leg. Yeah. Again, you've got your the weights on your front leg because yeah. you're stepping with your back foot. So yeah, we're definitely. I I don't even view that as a push in my brain i can't make my baby brain think that's a push yeah i'm not sure what to, they're concerned about the hip yeah to worry about that yeah it's or it's you know it's maybe if it doesn't even come all the way up to a figure four it's just you close you get your feet together you know like if i'm i'm gonna demonstrate this for david so he can explain it better you know so as you you go and, you know like that yeah pretty much yeah this. maybe it's yeah. a draggy pushy yeah this thing, yeah right Oh, that was a good pitch, Pete. 
Thank you. Yep. Strike three. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's the book points of emphasis uh, from NFHS. And with just a couple of minutes here um, left in the episode, I want to add one that I think we're, we're going to get here in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken, is going to come out in the, in the white book. Um, if it hasn't, I haven't received mine yet. So maybe some of them have gone out. But uh, it's about mechanics, and uh, the reason that the emphasis is on mechanics, again, is that there's been some feedback in the Ohio space about inconsistent strike zones, and uh, one of the reasons for inconsistent strike zones is being inconsistent when you're setting up in the slot and making sure that, that you set up the same every time so that you have the same picture of the strike zone. I mentioned this in the, in the previous episode, and that it was actually drilled into my head you know, years ago and in, in many clinics. And it's definitely, I don't think I've been to a clinic yet, whether it be a local clinic or a nationals clinic. Yeah, maybe my NC2A clinic, they didn't do it. But, you know, somebody has a tennis ball on the end of a yeah. on the end of a stick, you know, and um, they're standing in front of you after you set up in the slot and behind the catcher and they're, they're placing the ball around the strike zone, making sure that you can see that. So we've worked that really hard. And uh, I feel like I'm fairly consistent in mine, but I would implore everybody who's listening to, you know, check yourself on that. Make and, sure that you're being consistent. It's important to know the consistency. If you think about to see the outside pitch, for instance, at the angle you're at. I'll tell you this. The angle I'm at, I'll speak for me and no one else. An outside pitch is a strike, and I can see dirt between the plate and the ball. Because of my position, because of right. the angle, it looks like the pitch may be outside. But if I were to stand up, move, and put myself directly in a, a parallel line with the ball, I would now see that it's over the corner of the plate. Yep. You know, and so that's, we had this, it actually just happened in the NBA where people were upset about uh, someone's toe being on the line when they were shooting a three-pointer. Were, were they on the line? Were they not? And the certain angle looked like he's standing on the line. Right. But if you rotate the camera, the guy's like half an inch behind the line. You can clearly see, yeah. you know, so far to move. Now it's not. Now it is. So you have to realize if you are in a consistent spot, you just have to know what does a strike look like to me? Right? right, so an outside strike looks like half inch of dirt, right, from where I'm at, and then I know that's a strike, and yep. I can consistently call that with confidence that's a strike. When it gets to be like an inch or two inches, I'm like, okay, that was definitely dirt all whole, all the way. And same with up and down. If you are consistent about putting your eyes at the top of the strike zone, then you know if you have to glance up, it's a strike. And if you put, if you are, you know, you you keep an eye on that front knee. Uh, the whole time and you, you're watching the ball come through and you know what that looks like for you. That's right. Uh, if you are constantly up and down and up and down based on how tired am I, um, how's the batter yep. standing, uh, how's this, it's going to affect your strike zone. And that may be part of the game. The batter has a, a goofy stance that you mentioned, well, you know, some left-handers, some slappers, changing uh, your setup a little bit sometimes so that you can see the ball come out of the pitcher's hand. Yep. Uh, that may affect your view of the strike zone. It may hurt consistency which may hurt the batter. You know, that's right. that's the penalty she's playing for for standing weirdly in the box, you yeah. know, or whatever it is and that's but the more you do that, the more slappers you see and all right, I'm just as consistent now from from standard to modified because I've now seen a thousand pitches that way. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, consistency is important, reps are important, uh, and that's and even that drill. You know, if you have a friend that can work with that, your your kid, your wife, you know, anyone that can you set down a little plate, sit down a piece of painter's tape on the floor, set up in the slot and let somebody move it around so you can see what that looks like for you. Yep. You mean practice? Oh, no, no, wait. <laughs> Talk about practice? No. Nope. I don't mean that. Yep. Very good stuff, Pete. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening. Yep. Uh, until next time.